Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogue, such as, he shoots that webbing to catch her, and at its touch, Gwen crumbles. Here to provide analysis for that line, and so much more, is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Oh, James B., I'm kind of worn out. I've been playing a musical, uh, The Addams Family, actually, and this... uh, reference you're making is to our annual in this podcast and it's i mean there's a lot of allusions to gwen because mj gets in trouble in here right well yes but i brought this up because it's become one of our very few point of contentions with you and i Uh, Ah. the line i'll say it again says he shoots out webbing to catch her and at its touch gwen crumbles i'm trying to imply to you that he shoots out his web catches Gwen, but when it hits her, she crumbles. Like, he kills her. Right, right, right. And this writer has chosen to remind us that shooting his web, he believes, killed Gwen <sighs> Stacy, because he did. And they were retconning it the other day, and we were having a discussion about it. And here it is right. coming up again in this story, where we will find a similar moment where maybe Mary Jane could die if he hits her with his web. But we'll, we'll find out when we get to the annual, but we're okay. not going to... Can't get to the annual without getting through the other books first because this annual does happen later. And Eddie, the last issue we covered of Amazing Spider-Man a couple podcasts ago, uh, your best friend Fire Lord was swinging by Earth for some pizza. <laughs> Spider-Man had to get involved. If you remember, Fire Lord is a cosmic-powered being. Uh, with his own podcast now. Uh, but he's way above Spider-Man's weight class. Is there anyone else we need to remind listeners about before getting into these books? Uh, yeah, we should mention that there's a new city editor, uh, Catherine Cushing. Uh, she took over Joe Robbie's old job because he got promoted to editor-in-chief. She does not like Peter's photography and is heavily favoring Lance Bannon. Uh, also, there are many allusions to a character we haven't seen in a while, Spencer Smythe. He was the guy that J. Jonah commissioned to build several spider slayers uh last time we saw him he was trying to actually kill spider-man and jay jonah because he thought they were his problems in his world and he had a terminal illness uh he doesn't succeed in killing them and he dies in amazing spider-man 192 but as we will see soon his legacy lives on yeah we thought he was related to marla madison i think i did too i don't know properly corrected by kevin ewing thank you kevin well I think we are ready. We have enough backstory there so people could follow along. So let's start with our first book. Our first book is from November of 1985. Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 270, The Hero and the Holocaust by Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, and Bob McLeod. Boy, Holocaust in the title of this book. What a darkly powerful word. Uh, Well, let's see where it goes. Uh, Spider-Man is gearing up to fight Fire Lord as he rages out of the Hudson River, sending a wave of fog into the surrounding area. Spider-Man is apprehensive to fight a former Herald of Galactus and flees into an office building in the hope of having an advantage in close quarters. After crashing through a window, he realizes this is not his best strategy. He flees again through the subway and finally to a construction site where with the help of a construction worker blows up a building on fire lord but the former herald isn't slowed until spidey manages to blow up a gas station staggering but not defeating his adversary with reckless abandon he attacks fire lord striking and 
springing voraciously. The Avengers arrive and calm Spider-Man from his pugnacious frenzy. We end with Fire Lord unconscious and many city blocks in ruins. I really enjoyed the artwork from Ron Friends and Bob McLeod. This was a pretty book with really good colors. I also enjoyed seeing J. Jonah Jameson, the Bugle Staff. It helped break up the story. I think the book missed an opportunity to progress the plot of any other characters, even a little. I think the only other storyline I noticed, Eddie, was the confusion over Spider-Man having two costumes. This was a fine story. I did like that Fire Lord and Spider-Man didn't shake hands and go their separate ways. So, Yeah, you know, you mentioned the Bugle. Uh, I should note that Catherine Cushing takes Jake Jonah's cigar out of his mouth and snaps it in half. <laughs> it's It produces an interesting dynamic between those two characters. Let's also not forget that this massive fight was all because Fire Lord wanted a piece of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wanted more than one piece, but... <laughs> yeah, being a, a herald of Galactus. But let's go on to our second book of the day, James B., all right, we have another powerhouse uh, character, almost as strong as Fire Lord. <laughs> From September of 1985, Stanley presents The Amazing Spider-Man 271, What Happened to Crusher Hogan? By DeFalco, Friends, and Rubenstein. We open with Crusher Hogan regaling a young wrestler in a gym with stories of helping Spider-Man. He is aggressively berated by gym owner Manslaughter Marsdale for distracting the patrons, and for ignoring the mopping he is supposed to be doing. This is some fantastic writing, James B. It is so plausible that Crusher Hogan could be mopping floors, because he's a washed-up wrestler, and telling outlandish stories. I, I just love it. It makes me think of, like, you know, me telling a story about the time John Williams conducted me or something. <laughs> well, Manslaughter is unhappy that one of his prize fighters, Bobby Chance, won't sign a new contract. Uh, consulting with his partner, Madam Fang, they plot to injure the young fighter if he does not renew his contract. Crusher Hogan overhears them and, upon returning home, meekly ponders how he can help the young fighter. Eddie Crusher, Hogan's home, is adorned with Spider-Man in his black suit posters. I didn't know they sold Spider-Man posters within this universe, but it's good to know that he's currently keeping up-to-date tabs on his hero. On the rooftop of Peter's apartment, Spider-Man makes some web bats to scare Candy, Randy, and Bambi. Web bats are back. All right. Yeah, and <laughs> listeners, he's trying to get into his apartment. Okay, he has better things to do than to just prank the bikini-wearing rooftop sunbathers, Eddie. He's got a reason why he's trying to scare them, okay? Fine. Peter's scantily clad neighbors retreat, but not long after, Miss Muggins shows up, calling Peter a pervert, while also reminding him rent is due. As he closes the door, it is once again knocked on by the fashionably dressed MJ. They go to dinner. James B., I asked my wife to help me identify who MJ most looks like from the 80s. You're talking about in this one actual scene. Yes, right? in that yeah. scene right there. Well, if it was a few years later, I would have just said she looks like Mario from Nintendo. But I don't even know. Is it maybe Mork and Mindy? It's an awful look, in my opinion. What did your wife say? Her, her hair is up. My wife, she couldn't decide either. It was very ambiguous. I thought she'd come up with an instantaneous answer, but we didn't know either. It's a strange look for her, for sure. I enjoyed it, though, despite your berating, James B. 
In Forest Hills, Nathan Lubinsky gets an ominous call from someone in his past. He nervously wheels away to meet up with them. Aunt May calls Peter and asks him to follow Nathan. But when he follows as Spider-Man, he is sidetracked when he hears gunshots. From the boxing gym. Yeah, the story gets really strange here. Uh, I do appreciate the time you took to order it nicely for the summary. But a bunch of weird things happen in the middle of this book at the Bugle. It's hard to follow. I think it hurts the book quite a bit. I'll, but we'll just talk about that later. Okay. Spidey crashes through the window to find the aged Crusher Hogan attempting to stop a gunman from shooting Bobby Chance. Hogan is no match for the gunman or manslaughter Marsdale, but Spidey knocks Marsdale out easily. Before departing, Spider-Man corroborates Crusher's outlandish stories of helping him. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man knows they're not true, but Crusher is very humble about this and very happy about this. Later on, we'll see at the end, he's sort of like the BMOC about this whole situation. So, When Peter finally makes it to Aunt May's, he learns Nathan has been beaten up by some shadowy characters because of debts. Aunt May is upset. By the way, Eddie, BMOC is big man on campus if you forgot I, from our I 60s books. I would never forget that. My mom used to say it when I was a child. So, <laughs> Eddie, in the middle of the book, there are some crazy scenes with MJ. Um, and there's some crazy scenes at the Bugle. There, there's no idea what Peter is buying art supplies for or what happened to Lance's hair or his attitude. There's one panel that says Betty Lee's just crying. It's all this random stuff that's going on. I was, I've been complaining that there isn't enough stuff with the secondary characters, but I don't need all this just random stuff thrown at me. This is, I'm sorry. I apologize for thinking this was going to be good. Yeah, we, we, like I said earlier, Catherine Cushing likes Lance Bannon a lot more than Peter. And MJ is modeling for one of the most important modeling agencies uh, that Peter hates for some reason about whomever owns it. It's so much stuff. Yeah, it just occurred to me that Lance Bannon's first name is Lance, like freelance photographer. <laughs> a, a pun for today, huh, James B? It's not a pun. I'm saying they... Or- I think they named him Lance like Freelance. You don't think so? You could be right. I mean, if Canon Photography was like, if Canon cameras were big, that his name's like Lance Bannon. It could have been like Freelance Canon. I just like, you know, his name is very photography-ish. So. (laughs) All right. All right. You like, I mean, it's a very fun name, isn't it? It is a fun name. I like Lance's name, too. Speaking of fun, let's knock off this annual. (laughs) From 1985, Stanley presents the Amazing Spider-Man Annual 19, Fun and Games. Written by Louise Simonson. Breakdowns by Mary Wilshire. Finishes by Pat Redding. You and the transitions, James B. So clever. Uh, also, on this cover, MJ is pictured in Spider-Man costume. I'm very intrigued. I've never read, owned, or seen this issue. I'm, I'm also intrigued by this cover. Well, we open with a Spidey webbing up some local goons who mock him for working with the kingpin for a hat. It's pretty incredible to me when I read this that Aunt May's hat remains pertinent in Spider-Man. See, that's why this book was hard to get. It was probably in such demand. I'm glad this is in here. It's bothered me immensely that the Kingpin went and bought him a hat. So um, good point, everyone. After he arrives late to MJ's for dinner, but MJ spent the time waiting for him worried he had been hurt as Spidey, Uncharacteristically, she loses it and slams the door on Peter as she kicks him out. At the Kingpin's headquarters, we are introduced to the reclusive 
Alistair Smythe, Spencer Smythe's son, who harbors a hate of Spider-Man and a distaste for his boss, the Kingpin. Smythe, who is also an inventor, bugged the hat Kingpin gave Spider-Man, but Smythe's besmirching and lackluster innovations lead Kingpin to dismiss him. Okay, so even better, that stupid hat, which bothered me, is now a major plot point now. I actually think this is really good writing. I love that someone's like, let's go back to that hat and make a whole story about it. And I love Smythe's recluse son here. Uh, He looks like comic book man from The Simpsons, more or less. Yeah, very disturbed looking comic book man. Uh, But he stomps out of Kingpin's headquarters, enraged to a secret lab of his own, where he has reproduced... A spider slayer. He uses the slayer to attack Aunt May, Anna Watson, and MJ while they eat lunch. Because Anna is trying on Aunt May's hat, she is mistaken as Spider-Man's aunt and grabbed by the slayer. MJ grabs Anna and as Smythe flies them away because he thinks the hat is for Spider-Man's aunt, he assumes MJ is Spider-Man and concocts the idea that she must have an exoskeleton to give her superpowers. He leaves Anna Watson tied up at his place and tells MJ to take him to her exoskeleton. It's good that MJ knows Peter Spider-Man because she can play along with this better than if she didn't. So she tells Smythe that the exoskeleton came from aliens. It's only because the illustrators do a great job of making Smythe look crazy and disturbingly creepy that they can make this jump to MJ having an exoskeleton seem slightly plausible. Uh, When I was looking for the illustrator, I realized this book was produced entirely by a female lineup. Ooh. Yeah. Spider-Man finds the hat at the scene of the kidnapping, but when he gets to Kingpin, Kingpin sends him after Smythe. Spidey saves Anna from Smythe's lab and then catches up to MJ, who had cleverly taken Smythe to Peter's house and then to the bugle in search of Peter for help. I'm not sure we've even had a, a female illustrator ever i mean you said it's an all-female lineup all-female lineup super fascinating i mean louise simonson's written before but i've never even seen a writer who i i I went and tried to look it up Uh, it was too difficult for the internet to distinguish you know if this is the first female illustrator for spider-man but it it might be i'm calling it i'm saying it is okay that's why this book was even harder for me to get see all these things going on Uh, well mj leaves a note eddie And we learn also that the spider sense didn't go off because the hat wasn't active. Okay. (laughs) How'd they explain it? Spider-Man saves MJ and begins a battle with Smythe. While the junior spider slater is new and improved, Spidey lures it into some high voltage lines. And it's over. After, at the bugle, Robbie buys some pictures MJ took. Peter's worried about an endangering those around him, particularly MJ. But the two of them take Anna and Aunt May out to dinner and then go see a movie seemingly as a couple. Yeah, MJ's into Peter, Eddie, but he's not into her because he's still hung up on Spider-Man getting Gwen killed. So they're not really a couple, even though they go to this movie together. It's it's confusing for me, for sure. Uh, You know what's not confusing? What is that? Our sponsor today. Oh, of course not. That won't be confusing at all for me. No, it's a returning sponsor. We have a lot more returning sponsors now. Our show's doing great. I'm sure I wholeheartedly endorsed them last time. So let's hear it, James B. I 
You may have already used them. Eddie, are you looking for artsy photos? Well, you can check out Lance Bannon Photography, LLC. Lance will meet with you one-on-one and teach you poses such as arch your back and arch your back more. That's right. He's a professional. Check out his hair. So listen to explain all you need to do. And when you are done, please leave. He has too much work going on, such as shooting a twilight skyscape for Catherine Cushing, who likes him best. Lance Banner Photography, gallery exhibit quality at cheap skin mag prices. See his ad in the Lansing St. Journal. Eddie, are you interested in Lance photographing your family or your new car? <laughs> that is disturbing, James B. He, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> he can photograph your family in the car and you can get two for the price of one. I don't need Lance Bannon coming where anywhere close to my family. He could keep looking for Catherine Cushing, who I don't know why she likes him so much. So I'm suspicious all around in that whole thing. All right. Eddie, I want to point out the fact that we've gone uh, quite a while without a an email from our, from our listeners. Uh-oh. Are you out there, listeners? <laughs> I listen to other podcasts, and they never tell us to write in. They never tell me. I'm always like, I'm going to write into them. And, like, they never do. So, I mean, we're telling you. Tell them how because they can reach- we like it so much, too. <laughs> Tell them how they can reach us and make us feel better. Please email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com or click on the link in this podcast description to join our Discord channel and connect with us on social media. And now it's time for the close. I'm James B., joined by... Eddie! And remember, listeners, despite what Manslaughter Marsdale thinks... Crusher Hogan taught Spider-Man everything he knows. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. Uh, Are we going to talk about how Manslaughter gets punched in the face and says, I had me an operation a few years ago or a few years back to block the pain, all the pain. Nobody can hurt me now. Uh, just because you can't feel pain doesn't mean you're invulnerable, manslaughter, right? Yeah, I was so hung up on Crusher Hogan that I was sort of lost to this plot line of, is manslaughter Marsdale like a real villain who hangs out with Madame Fang, or is he just a guy who is trying to like rough up one of his own boxers, be like, hey, buddy, throw the fight? I mean, what... No, I- could, could we be actually asking for more backstory here? Because I had the same problem. Like, am I supposed to know who Madame Fang is? Has this person made an appearance before? I'm pretty sure she has not.